Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode's coming to you following the Jets' loss in London to the Atlanta Falcons, 20-27. to The Jets dropped to 1-4, and they lose what looked to be a very winnable game, and all of the excitement from the Titans' win kind of disappears at this one. We're now looking at the bye, we've got two weeks before we play another game, plenty of stuff the Jets need to address, a lot of injuries, potentially players coming back after that, but 1-4 and four right now sitting down there. The Jets are currently projected to be drafting, you know, top five, which is not something that we want to do. Draft picks are nice, but, uh, you know, eventually you need to start winning games. The Jets just haven't gotten to that point yet. There was some good in this game. There was some bad for sure. We're going to talk about all that usual stuff. We're going to talk players. We're going to talk news, injuries, updates, uh, father time, what's on tap, offense, defense, special teams, and then not going to do a preview episode because the Jets have a bye week, so we have nothing to preview. I'm also not going to do an episode next week. I've done bye week specials in the past. I'm trying to do like a 100th episode special coming up in the next few weeks, and that's like November 9th probably is when it'll be now that pushing the bye week off. But I'm actually going away to a bachelor party for one of my good friends. A bunch of people going up there, going to be gone for a while, not going to be watching a lot of football on Sunday, and I'm just going to take a week off. Jets are taking a week off. They need to rest, get better. I'm under the weather today, not feeling great, got a head cold and everything. So I need to rest up, get better as well. It's basically what I got coming up for the podcast Back in two weeks following the Patriots game. Before we continue, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is the podcast title, Gang Green Nation Podcast. The series title is This Is The Jet Life. So we're going to talk about this game here. There was some good, there was some bad. I mean, when it comes down to it, I think that this defense that the Jets are running works against not great teams. The point of the whole thing is to limit the big plays, attack in the kill zone five yards, watch the screens and everything like that but play a zone defense that relies on a pass rush to get after the quarterback, make them uncomfortable, and allow them to only pick up small yardage plays, four, five, six, seven yards at a time, not get any big gainers downfield. And then, you know, if they need to do 12 play drives to sustain the offense on the field with these smaller plays, you hope that they, somewhere in there, there's a penalty or a big defensive play, and you hope that your pass rush is able to get after the quarterback to force some negative yardage plays, move them behind the sticks, get them off the field. And I think... In theory, it works all right with a young team especially. It takes a lot of the responsibility off of the covering players, the cornerbacks, the safeties, and it just makes people kind of play rather than think, watch where the ball goes, pursue, and attack. Um, What we didn't really factor in is the fact that when the Jets play a team like the Falcons and can't get a pass rush in a game and a quarterback that's a veteran like Matt Ryan is comfortable for three, four seconds on each snap, He's going to be able to rip this thing to shreds. I mean, they've watched game film on the Jets and what they like to do for defense, and all their defenses with these zones basically have holes in them, and Matt Ryan was consistently hitting them. He was finding Kyle Pitts consistently, nine catches for 120 yards. He was finding Corderell Patterson in the past game. He was finding people all over the field, their tight ends. You know, between the group, they had 16 catches from their tight ends. I know they had no wide receivers really playing in this game. The Jets did a good job against them, really limiting just very few yards and receptions and production from the wide receiver group, but the running backs, the tight ends, just finding the soft spots in the zone, consistently picking up seven yards, eight yards. And then when they finally got to third downs, it was short, third and one, third and twos. It was easy for them to convert. They ended up converting nine of 14 third downs in this game. The Jets couldn't get off the field. And when your offense, you look at the Jets' offensive side of the ball, Zach Wilson is unable to complete an easy pass, especially early in the game, just like he's been all year long. And they can't keep the ball on the field. So they do a couple passes, a couple runs, three and out. They do it again. All of a sudden, the Falcons are putting together 12, 13 play drives, picking apart a zone. Really pretty easy for them overall. The Jets are finding, you know, difficulty even completing a 15-yard pass, a five-yard slant, little passes to the running back. Zach Wilson can't hit the broadside of a barn early in the game. And it all kind of falls apart. The defense gets worn down. They get tired the way they've been all season long. Zach Wilson eventually gets it going, finds a rhythm a little bit. Makes the game interesting. After being down 17-0, to the Jets actually come back and make this a game where you're like, holy shit, if we can get a stop on the Falcons here, we may be able to come back and win this game. But of course, at the end of the game, the defense has been on the field for such a long time that it's really hard for them to play 
fast and smart, and the Falcons were really just ripping them apart, ripping apart that zone over and over again. They went down the field, scored one last time in the fourth quarter. That put the thing away. The Jets lose this one 20-27. They did make it respectable at the end, but early going, I mean, the defense didn't make any big plays. The linebackers, Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley, both forced fumbles. Those were big plays. But no sacks, still on the entire season, no interceptions for the team. And they relied on, you know, a bad punt from the Falcons. They relied on a big kickoff return for Tevin Coleman. And then some mediocre offense that got going a little bit later, just not enough. So we think we need to remember that the way that the Jets are playing right now, yes, Zach Wilson is capable of making big throws. He's capable of potentially winning a game the way he did against the Titans, but he also is capable of playing poorly, not completing easy passes, putting the Jets in a hole. The defense is able to be picked apart by a veteran who knows where to go, who's looked at the film, who's like, all right, well, I see the soft spots because the Jets don't have a ton of different variations. It's kind of the same sort of thing that they're giving to you, and if you can't get the pass rush going, it's going to be very difficult. That's what we saw in this game. So I do think the Jets can compete with a lot of teams in the league when they're playing well. This is still absolutely a team that can lose any game. And watching the NFL Network, I mean, this is the big London game. It's got a lot of extra pageantry. It's got a lot of extra people there. You had, uh, you know, 50-plus people from the NFL have traveled over to London to go to this game. You got podcasts over there. You got big coverage for the team. Similar to, like, similar to a Super Bowl in that it's a neutral site, and there's just so much coverage only for that game. So that was exciting getting to watch all the hype on the Jets early on. I mean, everybody on NFL Network that I saw picked the Jets to win this game going in because they're thinking to themselves, well, the Falcons are without their two top receivers in Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley. The Jets are coming off a win against the Titans. They got a little bit of fight. They got a little bit of spice. They saw them winning. I did too. I had the Jets projected to win this game, what, 30-17, to 17, I think? And we didn't get to close scoring that. We scored 20. The Falcons, we couldn't stop them the way that I hoped we'd be able to, even without the wide receivers. They just passed to the running backs, passed to the tight ends, found success there. So tough game. It was cool playing in London. You know, it was cool uh, looking around, seeing the different fans and everything, getting to show them a game. I wish that uh, the Jets were able to come back and pull the win out. There were a bunch of Jets fans there repping. That was very cool. Uh, some of them listened to this podcast, and I engaged them on Twitter and whatnot too. So, you know, shout out to you guys for, you know, showing up, holding it down and everything. But, yeah, this one got away. One of the Jets' two primetime games of the season. They dropped to 1-4, and four, and it's a tough situation for the Jets, again, as they look at, you know, not really competing for the playoffs, competing more for draft position sooner than later. Another big news that came up uh, over the week, John Franklin Myers got a contract extension. Uh, not very common for Joe Douglas to be giving contract extensions midseason, but he did give one to John Franklin Myers, a player who has kind of been an unsung hero for this team for a long time. He was a waiver pickup from the Rams who made, I think he had a sack in the Super Bowl. He had a really nice player, too, in that playoff run. Ended up getting cut by the team. The Jets picked him up, and at the time it was like, this is a pretty good waiver claim. He's not just some scrub. He's a guy who actually had some impact and just you know didn't make it on a, a stacked defense. Jets brought him in. He's played well for us since. He's gotten better and better at rushing the passer, better and better at stopping the run. He's become an every-down player. And the Jets give him a massive four-year, $55.9 million contract with $30 million guaranteed. So first when you see that number, it's like, that's a lot for John Franklin Myers. He now becomes like the second highest paid player on the team, or fourth, third after uh, Carl Lawson and C.J. Mosley. But it's actually a team-friendly deal, where after two or three years, if they want to get out of this thing, they certainly can do that. But it's nice to see them taking care of their own, because I think the Jets have a uh, kind of a, a pattern of letting good players that they have go. The Jamal Adams... Uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, Damon Harrison. I mean, one after another, these guys are getting uh, moved to other teams. They're already talking about Marcus May potentially being gone before the trade deadline. That's a possibility as well. And it's like, eventually you do have to pay your good players and keep them. You can't just keep going to the draft, get rid of the good players, draft new young ones, get rid of them before they get big contracts. You do eventually have to commit to somebody. And it was nice to see them commit to a guy who's worked so hard and has been so underrated for so long. He won't be under, underrated anymore with that big contract. People are going to get to know his name. When you're making $13.5 million in the season, people expect a lot from you. People start looking your way a little bit more. They start getting a little bit more notice. Oh, what has he done? Why are they getting so much money? So John Franklin Myers, I'm sure he'll live up to it. He is an every-down player that plays the run well, plays the pass well. I hope that uh, he continues to be what we've seen from him so far and keeps getting better. He's only 25 years old right now. It's potentially a four-year deal. Could be going until he's 29. But it also could be, you know, two, three years. 
So it all depends, but good for John Franklin Myers, his uh, press conference where he got it. He was like crying, talking about how he was super happy for his family, does it all for his family. That was great to see. He is a very easy guy to root for. So for that reason, it's like way better than signing a Marcus May or a Sheldon Richardson or a guy who's kind of a, a punk or not really appreciating all of it. John Franklin Myers appreciates every single penny of that $50 million contract. Other news, this is kind of interesting stuff. Um, many layers to the Seahawks right now. The Jets have the Seahawks draft pick because they traded Jamal Adams last year for two firsts. This year they had the second first. Next year they'll have a second first. Jamal Adams is currently playing like shit over there. He's not getting any quarterback pressures. He can't cover anybody. He's a liability. He was trending on Twitter during the last game because he was just getting exposed time and time again. They called Tyler Higby a, a matchup mismatch. Jamal Adams couldn't do that. It's been uh, an ugly go for him. But on, on top of that, the team isn't doing very well. They're 2-3 and three now, and they're actually projected to be drafting in the top 15 of the draft, the top half, which when they made the trade to the Jets for Jamal Adams, I'm sure they were assuming they'd be going on a playoff run, possibly a Super Bowl, giving the Jets, you know, 25, 26, or beyond draft pick. Now it's looking like 13, 14, 15, and it could get worse because Russell Wilson right now just sustained a finger injury, a ruptured extensor tendon, also known as mallet finger, and will be out for the foreseeable future. Geno Smith, a former Jet, will be the backup, and we've seen what he can do. I mean, the guy came in in this game and actually put up a pretty good performance, but in reality, he's the same Geno Smith. He gets flushed out of the pocket. He runs backwards. He takes big sacks. He throws the ball away. Eventually, he makes mistakes, and that team without Russell Wilson is much worse, and every time they lose, the Jets' draft position gets that much better. For Russell Wilson, I think he's going to be out for a month or more because this is a pretty serious injury, and it's one that I had two times during my football career to both of my middle fingers, my right and my left middle finger, basically a year apart, and I was a quarterback, was not able to throw the ball either. Basically, what it is is the ligament or the tendon in your finger doesn't allow it to straighten. So as all of your fingers straighten up, that middle finger is still bent down. It's not able to tighten all the way because the muscle in there or the tendon is ruptured. I had to go to a hand specialist when I was playing because nobody had ever seen this before and they didn't know why my finger couldn't go straight, but obviously it affected my ability to throw, catch, anything like that. I had to get a titanium pin inserted into my finger, like two and a half inches long. It stayed in there with a splint. My finger had to recover. It took me eight weeks and then they pulled the pin out and I had to do some strengthening. I'm sure they were being a little bit more cautious with me because I didn't really have any, you know, I'm not an NFL player. They're like, listen, he's young. Let's just let this thing recover. No reason to rush him back. Russell Wilson, you know, he's an athlete. He probably can come back a little bit faster, but it still is a pretty lengthy process, and it doesn't just fix itself. Trust me, I both times happened once. By the second time, it's like, all right, I know this deal already. I went back to the same doctor. He's like, hey, I've seen this once before. It was you. And in reality, it's not a painful injury. It doesn't hurt. It's just a pain in the ass, and it's creepy that you can't straighten your hand out when you try to, you know, do like a high-five symbol and your finger just stays down. It's weird. That's why when you watch the game, Russell Wilson was constantly holding something, a tennis ball, a football, or something in his hand because it's only really comfortable clutching something until you get that pin in there to straighten it out and put it in a splint. So that's what we'll see from him. We're going to see plenty of Geno Smith, ex-Jets quarterback. Hopefully, and I root for Geno, but hopefully losing games, and hopefully the draft position keeps getting better for the Jets. So it's probably a little bit earlier then we'd like to be talking about the draft, but it is worth noting. We will keep tabs on the Seahawks as the year goes on. So now before we get into the finer details of the game, what say we stop over and do a father time and get my dad, David Burnham's takes on the game? This week's submission titled, Who's the Real Rookie? This is this week's father time. Here we go. I hope the Jets enjoyed London. It can be a real distraction, but that's not why they lost. This game is on the coaches. These coordinators are at the NFL level, but it doesn't look like it. Experiment time is over. The coaches lost this game. I was astounded at some of the calls. Case in point, Jeff Albrecht. In the red zone, he calls a zone blitz, putting John Franklin Myers in man coverage on Kyle Pitts, who runs 10 yards in 1.55 seconds and is 6'4 with a 3-foot vertical jump. This was not a busted play by the players. Where do you think we needed JFM the most? It was a busted play by the defensive coordinator, Jeff Albrecht. How about the offensive game plan? Mike LaFleur is experimenting with this offense. He's experimenting with our rookie quarterback. Mike LaFleur is a rookie. He needs to be the one to make this offense work. 
Michael Floor needs to get this offense running from the start of each game and not ask his rookie quarterback to save his butt halfway through the third quarter. We know that this offense is predicated on the run first. It isn't what he's doing. We want at least one safety to move into the box to stop the run. That isn't happening. An established run game is a rookie's best friend. LaFleur is forcing Zach to throw into too deep coverage early in the game. Zach isn't playing near that level yet. He's admitted that he gets off track with the pass, but admission isn't enough for Mike LaFleur. I get it. Zach is struggling with the short pass. Mike and Zach need to work on it. Fix it. It's the short game. Our coordinators need to stop making mistakes for this young team and start providing solutions. Atlanta was a winnable game. I'm looking forward to seeing the second game against Bill Asterisk Belichick. How will LaFleur and Ulbricht change things up for our team? Go Jets. End scene. So that is this week's Father Time. Obviously, my dad is very down on the coordinators in this game, and rightfully so. I mean, there were points in this game like that JFM covering Kyle Pitts play in the end zone was ridiculous. And John Franklin actually made a nice play and dove towards the ball and almost got a finger on it. But in reality, you can't ask a guy like that to cover a talent like Kyle Pitts. Not there. And the Michael Floor stuff, he's right. You got to establish the rock. You got to get running. One of the issues is that the Jets don't really have a dominant run game right now. And when they do run the ball in the first quarter, second quarter, they're not picking up 10, 13 yards. They're picking up like two, three, and they do have to get to these pass plays early. And the one thing that I kind of differ from my dad here is that Zach Wilson isn't hitting the throws early in the game. Yes, Michael Floor needs to call more runs. He needs to make it easier on Zach Wilson. But the way Zach Wilson's been throwing, his accuracy has been so erratic, especially early in the game, that it's impossible for an offensive coordinator to call any plays. Yes, if we had a better run game, a safety would come up. It would be easier to throw. It's very true that it's difficult with two safeties back there. They have safeties. You know, Bill Belichick's going to do the same thing. Keep DBs back, watch Zach Wilson, watch his eyes, and <laughs> follow the ball, try to get picks, make them uncomfortable, not know where to throw. But if when the guys are open, the wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, whomever, wherever he's throwing, if he can't hit them consistently, that's the big issue. And the two of them need to work it out. They need to figure out what plays Zach Wilson's comfortable doing. He needs to spend less time in the film room looking at film and looking at different reads and spend more time throwing a ball at a target and just getting used to how do you point your feet, how do you get the ball out quickly. And he needs to move faster and be more deliberate in his decision-making processes. There were plenty of times in this game where a receiver was open downfield and it just took him a long time to get the ball out, took him a long time to diagnose it, and he missed an opportunity. I mean, the interception that he threw on the sideline, the only one in this game, that receiver was wide open if he made that throw earlier. There's a good breakdown of Dan Orlovsky on Twitter posting about that exact throw and how Zach Wilson was just not moving quickly, not getting the ball out, didn't have any velocity on the throw, and that caused the interception. These things are on Zach Wilson. The play call in those situations are right, so it's definitely a give and take. Pound the ball more, run the ball better, and Zach Wilson, execute. If those things happen, it'll be a much better offense. But we got to see it. Defensively, you know, don't put your players in mismatches. Some of those crazy calls, JFM covering Kyle Pitts. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to get that pass rush going. You got to get after the quarterback. And if you can't, you may have to start dialing up some blitzes. Because if you're not getting pressure on the quarterback and you're playing a zone defense against a veteran quarterback who knows what to do, you're going to get picked apart all day, every day. And you're waiting for that big splash play or that big penalty. I'll tell you what, the Jets were the most penalized team in this game, not the Falcons. And the Jets haven't gotten an interception on the entire year. They've got some forced fumbles, but they're not forcing a bunch of turnovers. And obviously their sack game can go quiet. So if you're waiting for that big play on a 15-yard drive, it doesn't always happen. And these teams are scoring easily on us. But that was a great father time, Dad. I appreciate it. We will be back in two weeks with another father time after the Patriots came to hear what my dad thinks about that one. Yeah. All right. So moving on, next order of business would be to do a quick game recap. And in this one, I mean, we talked about it already. The Jets started super slow, down 17 to zero. We were getting a bunch of penalties. We had to watch the freaking walking corpse Corrente come out and make call after call against the Jets. Super frustrating. They didn't play a great game. Zach Wilson has to be better. The play calling has to be better. They have to have a better way of stopping a veteran quarterback who knows exactly what to do against your defense. And, yeah, I mean, they've got time to figure it out. They're young. Everybody's young. The coaches, the players. we got two weeks. We're getting some guys back. But, you know, plenty to work on. When you look at the stats, I mean, again, the Falcons way outplayed the Jets, and their stats show it. T. 
team stats, you know, 28 first downs to 17. They had 450 yards of offense. We had 230. They were averaging six yards per play. We were averaging 4.4. You know, passing, rushing, they were more efficient than us. The penalties, they just had seven penalties for 58 yards. By the end of this game, there was a huge penalty on a pass interference call with Elijah Moore by the end zone. That was a nice play that was, you know, that doesn't show up on the stat sheet for Zach Wilson or anything, but it was basically a 50-yard penalty that he threw to Elijah Moore, who otherwise may have been able to make a play. They ended up, the Falcons had 66 penalty yards on only four penalties because of that big one, but the Jets really had more penalties in this game. And then time of possession, because these Jets are doing these quick three and outs, and the Falcons are just doing play after play. Falcons have 23 more total plays than the Jets in this game, and 11 or 12 more minutes of time of possession. Again, the defense is on the field all game long. They can't get off. Zach Wilson can't stay on the field, especially early in the game. Puts him into a hole, and then we've got to try to come back and dig out of this rut and see if they can do something. It's been the story of almost every game so far this year, and most times, all of them but one, the Jets are unable to come out of the hole, and they're unable to win a game. So not great. Um, Only one turnover for the Jets. That's a positive sign. They're not fumbling the ball really at all. Everybody on this team has, you know, they're only getting the ball so often. They only play 52 plays in the game. But they're holding on to the ball, and Zach Wilson only threw the one pick. They did score a couple touchdowns, so it was nice to see the offense at least getting up there. But, you know, the Falcons are one of the worst defenses in the league. They've been making it easy on quarterbacks all year long. You'd like to exploit them a little bit more. I was talking all last week about the the matchups and the Falcons and how they don't get after the quarterback and how, you know, they didn't in this game, two sacks, but how they don't force turnovers, how they give up a ton of passing touchdowns, great quarterback ratings, and the Jets couldn't capitalize on it. And they started as slow as they could have started. Really frustrating to see it. 17-0 so quickly in this game, just being like, what the hell is going on? And thank God they bounced back and gave us a little bit of hope at the end because if it finished that way, like the Broncos game, we'd be we'd be not very happy right now. We're already not happy, but it'd be even worse. So let's go over to the player performances, starting with Zach Wilson. 19 for 32, 192 yards in that one pick. He didn't throw any touchdowns. All the touchdowns were ran in by the Jets in this one. But, you know, if he could be more comfortable and if he could make throws early on and keep us from being down 17-0, to zero, we win this game. If he can complete the easy passes, the, the short dump-offs to Ryan Griffin that I can throw, that almost everybody listening to this podcast can throw, if he can make those plays, it's going to help this team win games. And then if he can you know, see stuff a little bit faster, get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker, put some velocity on the ball and hit his receivers, it's also going to help. There's a clear path for him. A lot of people were talking about the Josh Allen rookie season. His first five games, he had very, very similar stats to what Zach Wilson has done so far this year. So that gives you a little bit of hope of like, well, it's a similar play style. But Zach Wilson, you know, you can't expect him to just improve his accuracy the way Josh Allen did. It was kind of a miracle that Josh Allen did that in one year. We'd love to see it from Zach Wilson, but we got to see it. And then when it comes to, like, running the ball, I think there were a lot of opportunities for Zach Wilson to actually take off and pick up first downs in this game. looked like he had six, seven, eight yards of field in front of him where he could pick it up and slide. Instead, he made a pass, didn't pick up the third downs, didn't pick up the second downs. I'd like to see him use his legs a little bit more. I think it's important for him to establish it where he can get it going, especially if he can't make the 10-yard pass, do the 10-yard run instead. You don't have to worry about it. You just have to worry about sliding, keeping yourself safe. He does like to put his shoulder in from time to time. Saw him do that against the Falcons this game, and you're like, what are you doing, dude? Live to play another down. We know that you're struggling right now, but we do not want to see Mike White playing quarterback. So bring some of that some of that legs into the game to help him out. Accuracy early, and then just getting the ball out quicker, making his reads quicker. It's all going to help him. He's got the cannon of an arm. He moves really well within the pocket. Just the next steps. He's a rookie. He's got time. No problem. Let's go to the running backs. I like this running back group. I like it a lot. Michael Carter has been a very good running back for the Jets all season long. We were excited when he got drafted. And, you know, he only puts up 3.8 yards per carry in this game. But he had some really nice runs. 38 yards in this game. He got another touchdown, his second of the year. And similar to last year, the Jets aren't making any big explosive runs. They're not getting any 20-yard runs. Definitely nothing bigger than that. In this game, it's like a long of nine. People are getting six-yard runs, five-yard runs. Those are big plays for us. But they do... Good stuff. I mean, when you watch Michael Carter, you see the balance, you see the hands, you see a little bit of extra fight in him. Then you look at a guy like Ty Johnson. I mean, he's a nice rotational piece that you trust, comes in and does pretty good work. He got a touchdown in this game. Tevin Coleman is a guy that I think should be getting actually more looks. He only had three carries in this game, no receptions. And he's a really good veteran who picks up the yardage. 
He's got some power to him. He's good on those short yardage situations, and I think that he could be used a little bit more in this offense. I know it would be taking away snaps from Michael Carter, but I think just to establish the run game earlier and get him going, Tevin Coleman, he is a good veteran. you got three good backs there. I love what we have in that group. 3.6 yards per carry in this game for the group, so it's not like super efficient looking, but you can see in all of the players. They all look like they belong. When you look at the tight end group, none of them look like they belong. I mean, Zach Wilson is throwing horribly, horribly to the tight ends. Probably the most inaccurate throws go right to those guys. But Ryan Griffin, you know, he gets one catch for four yards on two targets. This is a guy that was playing 90% of snaps this week with Tyler Croft out. Trevon Wesco's snaps go up. He does nothing. You know, Daniel Brown, he's out there still for a couple snaps, does nothing. Kenny Yaboa was a guy from the practice squad that just called up with Tyler Croft's injury. I was excited to see him come out. He was an Ole Miss player that's, like, really athletic. He had a Hail Mary catch in the preseason. Barely made the practice squad, but I was rooting for him because he's like a glimmer of hope in that tight end group. Didn't get out of the field. Didn't play a single snap. We'll wait to see if he plays next week or in the future, but nothing coming out of the tight end group. Wide receivers. I mean, Corey Davis is targeted heavily. He's got some drops. Zach Wilson has some poor accuracy thrown to him. In this game, he gets four catches for 45 yards on seven targets. Keelan Cole has been a bright spot. He doesn't really factor into the game consistently, but there's always one or two plays a game that Keelan Cole gets open downfield for a deep throw. In this game, along at 23 yards. Zach Wilson found him, and you're like, right when you least expect it, Keelan Cole gets a big yard gain. So I've been happy with that so far this year. Just not a regular basis involvement from him. Jamison Crowder, he's a guy that you would want that regular basis, him and Corey Davis, and maybe Elijah Moore getting a lot of looks often. Crowder gets seven targets in this game, but four catches for 24 yards. He had a nice two-point conversion catch on a flat play. really like that play to Jamison Crowder. We've ran it a lot to him with Sam Darnold and with Zach Wilson. But, you know, not big chunk plays. And those are the ones that accuracy is super important because, you know, you're averaging six yards per throw to Jameson. So you better get it on target so he can get upfield and run. You know, one that uh, people were actually really excited about in this game, Denzel Mims active again. He only played eight snaps in this game, but he had two receptions for 33 yards, a long of 27, had a nice big play in the game. And again, you're just seeing like when Denzel Mims is on the field, he has some productivity. I don't know what his every down route running looks like, his every down blocking looks like, because he's not playing every down in this offense. He played eight snaps in this game. They all of a sudden come out of nowhere, and you're like, whoa, there's Denzel Mims. But he is making plays. Zach Wilson is throwing to him, and he's coming down with the ball. It's not like he's dropping it. He's not fumbling it. He's not just catching for three yards, little short dinks and dunks. He's getting downfield, and he's grabbing the ball. So I'm still happy with Denzel Mims. He's trending up, in my opinion. hope the coaches feel the same way. For whatever they see in practice or off the field that they're not impressed with, Eventually, when this offense is struggling the way that it is, and Zach Wilson isn't comfortable throwing to these players, and we're not really getting great production from our receivers, eventually, a guy that is catching the ball on minimal snaps, like Denzel Mims, get him out there more. Play him for 60% of snaps. See what happens. You may eventually have to go that route if if nothing's working, you know? But uh, Braxton Berrios, he had one catch in this game. It was a... Kind of a catch. It was like a little shovel dump off that same play that the Jets ran last week two times. They ran it again this week. Worked for six yards. It's a decent play. Um, you know, it picks up positive yards. It hasn't been stopped yet. I think they need to have a variation on that look, that same play where Braxton Barrios goes across. Eventually, teams have seen this on tape like, you know, three, four, five times you've run it. Then they really commit to it. Maybe you got a guy sneaking around the left side instead. You dump it to him, and, you know, maybe they haven't seen that play from that formation. And with that motion, I think that's an option. For the Jets moving forward, Elijah Moore targeted twice, no catches. My big issue with Elijah Moore in this game, you know, he's definitely coming on slow from what we thought we'd see, but it's that he plays like a rookie still. He had one catch in this game where he was out of bounds, came back in and caught it. You can't do that in the NFL, and it's the reason that rookies don't play. It's the reason that you're better when Jamison Crowder comes back. It's the reason that you want Keelan Cole on the field, and they have more production than Elijah Moore or someone, because the little nuances of the game, the rule books, the things that you have to know, some guys, you know, it takes a while for them to get that, and Elijah Moore doesn't currently have it yet. It was happy to, I was happy to see that pass interference that he drew downfield. You know, he could have come back and maybe made a play on the ball, potentially, if he uh, adjusted his route a little bit. But the out-of-bounds play, coming back in to catch it and then getting a penalty for making a, a mental error like that, those are the things that, you know, you got to make sure that when you're on the field and you get your opportunities, you know that stuff. Then we talk about the offensive line. You're probably wondering, where in the hell is this offensive player of the game, Dan? When are we going to get this guy? 
When you go to the offensive line, you see him right away. Elijah Vera Tucker gave up no pressures in this game. He's playing extremely well in the run game, in the pass blocking game. And, you know, the whole offensive line did pretty well in this game, giving up only two sacks and only two pressures. I think the only pressures were credited to GVR and Morgan Moses on the right side. But AVT is a guy that early on, like, we were a little worried about his injury. And then some communication breakdowns early, and we were like, all right. But he's a rookie, so you expect a little bit of growing pains, as we mentioned. But now seeing him come into what we expected him to be, a good run blocker, a great pass blocker. I've seen him pulling, getting to players. I'm seeing him make double blocks, hitting one guy, then hitting another guy. Nice chips in the right place, not making mistakes, not getting penalties, out there every single play. And this is a position that's been so weak for the Jets for so long at left guard. And now having him plugged in there, confident in the way he's playing, getting better each and every week. I mean, he was... I don't use pro football focus for a lot of grades because I don't really like their system. I think a lot of times they're they're off base. But with offensive line, it's not bad because it's really all you have. You don't have stats for offensive linemen. You just have to watch the game. But usually you're so caught up in watching the wide receivers or the quarterback size and things, you don't get to see each individual lineman. So that pro football focus is good for. Elijah Vera Tucker is going to have a grade over 90 again. A great week for him. I mean, it's hard to see, especially on initial watch. But as he keeps playing like this, when people begin to take note of how he's doing, he's going to get some more highlights in the game. They're going to key up on him more, saying like, oh, look what AVT did here. Look what he did there. And the more you see of him, the better he is. It's just, uh, it's really nice. He is our offensive player of the game. AVT, way to go. Rest of the O-line we mentioned, good enough. Two sacks total. Only pressures from GVR and Morgan Moses. So you're pretty happy. Kai Becton should be coming back soon. Possibly after the bye was like the, the soonest he could be back would be week seven right after the bye. He may have to get back into shape. I'm not sure where he's at in his recovery process. But then you have to figure out whether or not George Fant goes back to right tackle, which is where he started with Morgan Moses on the bench when Mekhi Becton was playing. Or if you're going to keep Morgan Moses at right tackle and put Mekhi Becton at left tackle with Fant on the bench. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they play that. Overall, you got to be pretty pleased with the offensive line because Zach Wilson is definitely not getting shelled back there. He has ample time, really, to make the throws. He just has to make the throws. So that is our offense. Now we are going to talk about the defense and special teams. But before we do that, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. This is what's on tap. And I mentioned earlier that I'm a little under the weather today. A little bit of a cold. I thought to myself, what do I want to drink on a day that I'm not feeling well? I've done Faderade in the past. I think I did like a whiskey ginger one time. I'm trying to think like, what could I drink if I got a cold and my throat hurts? A hot toddy. What is this? This is basically a homemade tea and whiskey combo that I made. And this is actually my first time ever making or drinking a hot toddy. I've heard of them for years and I didn't really know how they worked. Like, do you just grab a tea bag and dump whiskey in it? I looked it up online. No. You take water, you take lemon juice, fresh squeezed lemon juice, some honey, freshly grown by roommate Kyle and his dad. We've got a cinnamon stick in there, a lemon wedge, some water, and then two shots of Woodford Reserve. And that makes a hot toddy. Heat it up. This thing's actually pretty delicious. It was uh, a little too hot when I started. It's a little too cold now, but I'm still drinking it. I'm still liking it. The cinnamon stick is like the perfect amount of cinnamon to have in there. Not sweet. And to go with that, roommate Kyle mentioned to me recently, I haven't done a What's On Snack in a while, so today here's a What's On Snack to pair with my hot toddy. It's a little fresh lemon cake made up by fiance Shannon. She makes this delicious lemon cake. I mean, like I said, I'm a big lemon guy. I love the stuff. Can't get enough of it. I don't really like sweet stuff, so when I do like sweet varieties of things, I like lemon because it a little bit more sour than sugary. And this bread with this tea, I'm almost not even sick anymore. The win or the loss to the Falcons almost doesn't even matter because this is just its a nice treat. I have to take a bite of the lemon cake and then do a drink of the tea. And that right there, that's how you live on a Tuesday night in Connecticut when it's pitch black at 630. I just realized what happened to the sun. Oh, goodness. Anyways, that is what's on snack. That is what's on tap. We can get back to the podcast now, but before we do that, 
we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, everybody, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life. We only have a few more orders of business here before the podcast is over. We're going to talk defense. We're going to talk special teams. We're going to take a look at the AFC East, and then we're going to call it a wrap because there's no game next week. We don't have to preview that, and I'm not going to be back during the bye week, so I got two weeks off. We're going to close this thing out. I'm going to get some rest, feel a little bit better. All good. Defensive side of the ball. Defensive line was okay. It wasn't great. The Falcons ran pretty well in this game. I mean, they totaled 108 rushing yards, 3.7 yards per attempt. Um, I just want to say I found the Falcons team really annoying. I never really thought much of the Falcons. But, like, Cordell Patterson, he's fine. I'm happy for him. Like, nine years into his career, all of a sudden he found the right offense for him and a skill set, and he's, like, really good at hitting the hole really fast with some power, and he's huge, and he's a wide receiver, running back, whatever. Like, I can get past all that. Even though it shouldn't be happening right now, it is. That's fine. But Mike Davis was driving me crazy throughout this game. Hayden Hurst is just a punk as well. Love to see him fumble the ball basically every single time he touched it. Watching like Lee Smith and even Arthur Smith with his, I don't know, something about this team. Maybe it's because we were losing. Maybe it's because I came in with such high expectations to play them and beat them in London and it didn't happen. But something about their offense really just kind of pisses me off. I just wanted to say that now because it had really been bothering me. That and the ref, Tony Carrente, in this game, just all game long. I don't know. It's uh, They are on my trending down list. And uh, that doesn't mean much. They probably don't care. But it's it's true. They are there now. Talking about the defense, the defensive line was solid. Um, Quinn Williams was the only guy to have multiple quarterback hits in this game. He's still playing well. We didn't have any sacks, though. And in a game like this where they're just picking apart your zone, if you can't hit the quarterback, you can't make them uncomfortable, you can't win. And Matt Ryan was way too comfortable back there, making easy reads whenever he wanted. He was 33 for 45. We mentioned they were 9 for 14 on third down conversions, which is absurd. And he was just super, super comfortable, throwing two touchdowns, 342 yards against us, 7.6 yards per attempt. It was just a, a shelling from him. And they didn't have Calvin Ridley, and they didn't have Russell Gage. And you'd think that if their leading receivers are Tajay Sharp and Olamide Zacchaeus, you'd probably have an advantage. And while the Jets covered the wide receivers very well, they weren't able to stop the team. And they ran the ball effectively up the middle. It just, you needed more pressures. You didn't quite get it. Well, the Jets did have eight quarterback hits in this game. Even though they had no sacks. You know, two were Quinnens, like I said. You had one from Bryce Huff, one from JFM. Actually had one from Nathan Shepard, believe it or not. Foley Fadikasi had one. And then you had one from Quincy Williams and Gerard Wilson. So they did have eight quarterback hits. Just couldn't bring them down. I think stars in the defensive line in this game that really stood out. Tim Ward, for the first time, he had what should have been counted as a tackle for a loss. A nice tackle in the backfield. And he had two pass deflections. Basically one drive, he stopped himself. He stopped him on second down. He did a pass deflection on third down. They had to punt the ball. And it was like... I've been waiting for Tim Moore to do anything on that defensive line, and this was the game he did it. So great to see that from him. John Franklin Myers played the run pretty well in this game. The other guys, not much to show for it. Jack Lawson did have a tackle for a loss, and he had a fumble recovery. So solid game from him. Foley Fadikasi was making plays. Even Rankins made a couple plays here and there. But, you know, it was just the way the Falcons were picking up six yards every play. You would have needed the defensive line to get sacks in the quarterback or a lot of tackles for loss to keep the team in it, and only having two tackles for loss and no sacks, not enough negative yardage plays since they only had four penalties in this game as well. They were just consistently moving the ball forward time and time again. Short sticks, easy opportunities, making it easy for a third down, and that was the story of the game in this one. When you look at the linebackers, you had a forced fumble from both Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley. They both had a bunch of tackles, eight tackles each, but that's about it for them. Not their best games. I mean, they were out there. They were making big thumping hits, but just not closing quick enough in the zone. Cornerbacks overall were pretty good. I mean, the pressure from the Falcons was put in the middle of the field primarily and in the running back's hands. They were consistently doing that. They weren't doing much on the outsides of the field. It was like Kyle Pitts in the middle, even though he stretches out wide as well. Tight ends in the middle. And the wide receivers were held pretty much in check. I'm going to give player the game in this one defensively to Bryce Hall. Not because it was his best game of the season, but his overall body of work. He did have three or four really nice plays. They credited him with two pass deflections. I think he potentially had more than that. 
He had seven tackles in this game, which was fourth in the team. But overall, this guy has been a lockdown cornerback all season long. He's not getting talked about enough. He's not getting enough credit. But he's playing every single snap, every single week. In this defensive secondary where you wouldn't think that a guy like him would be able to do stuff that he's doing, he's shutting people down. I know we haven't played the best wide receivers. Everybody's injured when they play us. Or it's a team that doesn't really have him like the Patriots. But he still is playing well every single week. And again, when you look at the wide receivers from this team, the number one, Tajay Sharp, four receptions for 53 yards. Zacchaeus had two receptions for 20 yards on four targets. I mean, it just Bryce Hall is winning plenty of matchups. He did get beat a couple times. He was forced to cover Kyle Pitts a few times in this game, even though Kyle Pitts is definitely a mismatch for him in size. But Bryce Hall has been an absolute gem for this team. Thank goodness we have him. A solid game from him this week. He probably was the best of the cornerbacks in this game. And considering we covered the wide receivers pretty well, and he's been great all year, he is our defensive player of the game. Aside from that, when you look away from Bryce Hall, it's just who's going to be the other guy. Brandon Eccles is still getting the majority of the snaps. Then you got in the slot, Michael Carter, Javelin Gidry, both those guys are getting a handful of snaps each game. Then this week you had no Isaiah Dunn playing. Jason Pinnock on the active roster, he actually played a handful of snaps in this game. And I didn't see him stand out to me as making any big mistakes, didn't have any penalties, didn't play a ton, but the more he can get on the field and not be seen, not be exposed, the better. Get comfortable, get the feel for the game, get used to you know taking hits, NFL speed, all that, playing in this defense without being exposed. You love to see it. So he had a tackle in this game, <laughs> you know, showing up on the stat sheet, very cool. Uh, good to see that from him. And then safeties, when you look at the safety group, not pleased with the safeties. Ashton Davis is not where you'd want him to be at this point. Not that he's like a bad player, but when you drafted him third overall, when you didn't need a safety at that time, you had Marcus May and Jamal Adams, and you draft like a third-round guy in Ashton Davis, and you're like trying to figure out why do we have him. And you're like, well, you know what? He could be really good one day, and he could be a game-changer for the Jets. And if that's true, if they're going for best available, but we're not seeing that from him. He was injured. He's a track star, an athlete but he's not playing great within the defense. He's always a step behind. He doesn't cover people perfectly. He doesn't have any big hits. Not a lot of playmaking ability there from a guy that you'd think would be out there to be a playmaker. And I'd like to see more from him, especially because we don't have Marcus May in there. We may not be having Marcus May if we trade him. And even if we don't trade him, he probably won't be here next year unless they franchise tag him again. So you're wondering, what do we have at the safety group? I think Sherrod Neesman is the best safety that we have currently playing right now, healthy but you still have to play Ashton Davis. You're playing Gerard Wilson for more snaps than you'd like to play him. And neither one of those guys is really making a big impact. Neesman's been fine, but it's just not enough splash, not enough spark. This defense needs it. They need something. You know, they don't have their best pass rusher. They don't have their best outside linebacker in uh, Gerard Davis, who could be coming back soon. But I do want to mention... Um, Two things that I failed to mention. One, in the linebacker group, Jamie and Sherwood played a very good game in this one. It was his best game by far the season. I haven't really seen him stand out. You know, he's the rookie that we drafted this year, and it was him and Hamza and Delshawn Phillips, and who was going to get the minutes. And eventually, like, we settled on Quincy Williams, and everybody else kind of split 20% each. Blake Cashman played a little bit this week, but Jamie and Sherwood, his impact was felt. Great game from him. Trending up. Like to see a little bit more build on that performance. And then on the defensive line, Almost forgot the doghouse player of the game, Nathan Shepard, who sucks. Nathan Shepard is playing way too many snaps. He's getting penalties every single week. He was our doghouse player of the game last week because in 30 snaps, he had three penalties. This week, he played 26% of snaps and had two penalties. I mean, this guy is not making an impact. He's not making any positive impact for the Jets. He's not making plays. He's getting penalties every single week. And I think that the experiment with Nathan Shepard, I mean, he was old when we drafted him. But at this point in time, Nathan Shepard, he really needs to be replaced. I'd rather see Jonathan Marshall out there. I'd rather see Tanzel Smart, a guy with some potential that doesn't make mistakes. Nathan Shepard is 28 years old. His potential is dwaning, and he's not good. And he consistently messes up. He's got five penalties in the past two weeks. He shouldn't be on the field. He can't be out there. He's got to be cut. We've got other guys that can replace him. Jonathan Marshall is one. Tanzel Smart is another. There are people that we can replace Nathan Shepard with. So get him off the team. It's over. The experiment failed. He was okay for a time. A wasted third-round pick. They drafted him 72 overall in that Mike McCagden there. It was supposed to be some diamond in the rough from Fort Hayes State. No, it didn't happen, and it's too late for him. So, pretty disappointed in him, as you can tell. 
When you look at the special teams in this game, I don't trust Matt Amendola still. He did make two for two in this game. He missed an extra point. We had to go for two to make up for that, get back to the 20 points. Um, so, you know, he's making his kicks for the most part. Like the one that he made that was kind of far, he made it by about five inches and it was super sketchy again. Just something about it just doesn't feel right. And I think that he's going to burn us at the wrong time. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I just, I don't feel it yet. Maybe because I've been burned by too many kickers in the past, trying out guys, it not working. Finally, Jason Myers worked. We got rid of him, let him go elsewhere. And now we just, the revolving door continues for kickers. And I'm finding it hard to trust. But two for two in this game, so all right. Thomas Morstead still punting for right now. He's doing a fine job filling in for Braden Mann. Braden Mann hopefully will be back soon. We didn't have any punt return yards in this game because they only punted the ball twice. One was a shank that was like 30 yards, and the other one was inside the 20, fair caught by Braxton Berrios. They didn't punt coverage team. Uh, Justin Hardy played really well. He made another nice standout play on special teams. Good to see from a special teams ace. He pushed one of the D, uh, special teams players into the special teams returner, and it caused the ball to go rolling down for an additional 15 yards to make you know, a 59-yard punt for Thomas Morstead look really nice. So good job by Justin Hardy there. But our special teams player at the game is our kick returner, none other than Tevin Coleman, who in this game had a 65-yard kick return to put the Jets in scoring range right away, help them get points on the board. And he actually had another 28-yard return as well that was pretty nice. But those were big sparks in this game. And when you can't get much going from your offense and your defense is having trouble getting off the field, to see a special teams play like that, a 65-yard return, get you down there into scoring range right away, give the team a spark, a boost in a game that the Jets almost came back to win, it was huge. Can't be understated. I think Tevin Coleman is a very good kick returner. He hasn't kick returned a ton this year. He's been out there, but it's been like a lot of Barrios and uh, some other guys had some opportunities as well. Tevin Coleman probably will be getting more kick return opportunities moving forward because of this performance, and you love to see it. So good job, Tevin Coleman, our special teams player of the game. So that is it for offense, defense, and special teams. I apologize for the clunkiness of this episode. My head's foggy, as I mentioned, under the weather. That is my excuse in this one. I will be better. I need the bye to rest up as well to get my stuff back. And if the Jets could win, let's get a win in there. You know, I watch these games two, three times before doing it, but, like, if they win, I watch it three, four times. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, it really digests the content because it's so good. I try not to watch it too many times. I only watched this one two times because it really bummed me out. So we are going to move over to the last segment in this episode. It's going to be the AFC East check-in because we got to keep track of the AFC East just in case the Jets are going for the division, which at this point is seeming more and more unlikely. We knew coming in that it was super unlikely, but now with the Bills at 4-1 and one looking awesome, the Jets at 1-4 and four not looking awesome, it's probably escaping us. But still, to check in on them, the Bills this week beat Kansas City 38-20. to 20. Crazy. I mean, the Bills are now probably the best team in the entire AFC, as dangerous as anybody. they got a killer defense. They've got an awesome offense with great playmakers, a young quarterback who got good really, really fast, and a scheme that fits him. And this team is winning, and they just beat up on the Kansas City Chiefs, who are struggling this year so far. Next week, the Buffalo Bills, who are 4-1 and one now atop the division, will be playing in Tennessee to take on the 3-2 and two Titans. That is Monday night football at 8-15. The Titans are 3-2. and two. That's a team the Jets beat. Kind of crazy when you think about it. But the Bills will be facing them, probably going to crush them on Monday night football. We'll see what they can do if they can get their receivers back. Otherwise, it's going to be a healthy dosing of Derrick Henry. Probably will be either way. But that's the Titans' real chance of winning this game is just pounding the rock with Derrick Henry and then hopefully getting some play from the wide receivers. I don't think the Bills are going to lose. The Patriots, they won this week. They were losing all game to the Texans, and I'm watching that game because there's nothing better than watching the Patriots lose. And Mac Jones, again, it's like it's almost like he's looking to have the best possible performance statistically that he could have with having the worst performance that you could see on the field. It's like, yeah, when you look at it, he's completing most of his passes. Sometimes he throws 15, 16, 19 passes in a row complete. Like, whoa, who can do that? And he's, you know, standing back there comfortably in the pocket, not getting turnovers. But then when you look and you watch the game and it's like, they're never picking up third downs. They're throwing to players that can't, the whole thing is just like trying to not fail so hard that nothing good happens. And they were losing to the Texans who were 
easily one of the worst teams in the league to start, playing with their third or fourth string quarterback in Davis Mills. And this should have been a very easy matchup for the Patriots, but they were losing all game long, barely came back at the end. They won the game 25-22, to so they're probably feeling good about themselves. They're a 2-3 and three team now that should have lost to the worst team in the league. They shouldn't be feeling good. Their next game is at home against Dallas, who's 4-1. and one. That's this week at 425. So I'll be rooting for Dallas big time in that game to absolutely give the Patriots a butt whooping. They do not deserve to feel good about their team right now. They are convincing themselves that things are okay. It's not. They got a bad GM. They got a bad quarterback. They got issues all over the place. They spent all their money on players that aren't getting it done. And I just love their failures, and I'd like to see more. So I will move on from them to the Dolphins, who lost 17-45. to I don't hit the Dolphins as much because they're not really as competitive against the Jets. I mean, they beat us, but they're not fighting for the division. They kind of are, they're kind of losers now, too, at this point. They're 1-4 and four now. I mean, the Dolphins are a bad team. We haven't played them yet. That's Sushi Week. I look forward to Sushi Week coming up. Get them two times still. I guess their big measuring stick will be this week. They're playing at Jacksonville, who's 0-5. That's the next London game. So the Jets are uh, the first team to play in London. The Dolphins and Jaguars are the second and final team to play in London. So that's coming next week. Kind of cool. We'll see uh, you know them in a primetime spot. Hopefully the Jaguars beat them. Let's see Trevor Lawrence show up. Keep the Dolphins in the dirt because, you know, I don't hate the Dolphins right now, but I will eventually when they get good. And, you know, let's not let that happen anytime soon. So if the Dolphins can lose that game, very cool. And the Jets, they don't play. They got a bye week. They are 1-4 now, so it's not uh, looking so great for the team. We are done with the first quarter of the season. There's 17 games. Usually it would be broken up into you know quadrants of four, but now you can do the first one in five and then the bye week, and then after this we will be on to the second quarter of the season. And, uh, you know, it's, it's flying by, but there's still tons of football left, tons of game left. This Jets team is young, tons of room for growth. I'll be looking forward to that. But in these two weeks off, we'll be going to the bachelor party. I will not be recording a podcast episode in one week. I will take that week off. I'll be looking forward to an upcoming 100th episode special in about a month. And I'll start watching NHL and NBA because the NHL starts tonight. The Rangers are my team. They play tomorrow, the 13th, Wednesday. And then basketball starts, I think, on the 19th. I'm a Knicks fan there. So hopefully, arrow pointing up for Knicks, arrow pointing up for Rangers, something in those lines. I'm a Yankee fan as well. They lost already. That's fine. I'm over baseball. Watching football now. Jets aren't great. Bye week. All right, let's start putting some eggs in the uh, NHL basket and in the NBA basket because you always have to have something to put your heart into when you're a New York sports fan. Gets your heart ripped out year and year again. The Jets are doing it to me one more time, and I need to have it go somewhere. I can't just have all this misplaced sadness. I got to throw at it like, you know what? The Knicks are going to be good. It's possible. They were a playoff team last year. Let's build on it. A lot of good young players for the Rangers. Let's see them get to work tomorrow night. That's what I got. I'm going to enjoy the bye week. I'm going to enjoy the week off. I hope you guys do too. And until that, I'll be back two weeks to follow up the Jets versus Patriots game in Foxborough to see how the Jets manage to uh, win that game, hopefully. So thank you for joining me on this week's podcast. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. <laughs>